Welcome back to the Daydream Cast, the only show where you. That's you. Hey, Brogan, how you doing? Finish the sentence, please. I'm waiting with bated breath. The only show where you. Complete thought. It's the show where you. Oh. (laughs) This is the intro you came up with. Yeah. Okay. All right. No. Yeah. It's the only show where you. Okay. Yeah. All right, tell me about Marvel Snap, because this is... Hi, I'm Murph, by the way, for first-time listeners. Uh, Tell me about Marvel Snap, because this has been dominating the Twin Geeks Discord. Oh, yes, uh, that is correct. That is the hot new game. Marvel Snap is essentially a card game. It's like, I I think any gamer would compare it to Hearthstone. Um, I think it is made by Hearthstone. Who cares, Murph? yeah hearthstone hearthstone who cares um by blizzard um there's also i i played uh it reminded me a lot of a a physical marvel game that was licensed way back i don't think it had locations but it had the character abilities i'm pretty sure if i remember right anyways um and i think it is by the heart some hearthstone devs or ex hearthstone devs um it is just uh just a trading card game on your fucking phone um, you've played them before, possibly, um, but this one is special for multiple reasons. I think it's simply designed is, I think, the big thing. So it's easy for anybody to catch on to it. And then for people who are scared of, say, the progression of card boosters, you know, a lot of people like the, mm-hmm. I guess the systems in which people got cards before was intimidating. Either buying booster packs or uh, pay to win elements. Um, and this game is largely very rewarding for people who invest time into it. So you could go in uh, free and spend no money and really enjoy the experience. Okay. All right. Okay. And it has a good variety of, of Marvel champions to call upon. I noticed someone was posting Big Wheel, haha, memes. Yeah. No, they, 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 they pull from everywhere. I'm surprised at already how expen- or expansive the uh, card roster is uh it makes me wonder what they're gonna do in two years i I would guess rework or phase cards out yeah no i was i was really impressed by it and the thing is is it's never too complicated you read a card description and it's about a sentence or two and it always makes sense and it's like oh okay Okay. yes and and if you ever have a question about orders or anything those questions are also easily answered um, and the you know it, it it's all very fair and it's all very engaging even on levels uh the card pools for instance um they're all they're all very like well calculated and like there's a season pass but the season pass isn't particularly like damning if you don't get it if you don't pay the 10 bucks most of it is just extra rewards to accelerate but it, you know you could get everything easily through uh time investment um, I was going it, to say as a as a point, I don't know how much you wanted to stay on this topic, but um, 
I the the thing that I carried with me was um there's an like we're getting near the end of the year and there's game of the year discussions, right? And mm-hmm. there's there's some games that like aren't necessarily engaging on certain levels but are just like big time consumers for large masses of people. And yes. uh, this is one of them and I also noticed Vampire Survivors, a game I talked about almost a year ago now, probably. Mm-hmm. Like you were, you were early on that. I was I was early on that bad boy, and now a bunch of people are saying it's game of the year. I don't think it's game of the year. But the important thing I was going to say was, is I think this year was a year in which developers realized that some of the practices of say um and i think idle clickers got onto this train very early on like a decade ago but like Mm -hmm. vampire survivors and marvel snap know that you can hook a player with these uh addictive uh design design philosophies like the numbers go up or collecting and competing and uh Mm -hmm. still make a system that's not necessarily exploitative um and i think that's really interesting and I think that is uh, something that we will probably see going forward. Um, th- those are my opinions on that. Okay. All right. My only real question with Marvel Snap is: it's is it something you would recommend to someone that doesn't like doing a lot of like online battles? Like, does it have a healthy offline single player? No, it is yep. only online not at all. Battles. There, though, there's probably all right, you've lost me. There's there's probably some bots. But um, I would Uh say that, um, in fairness, there is, like, probably two matches of tutorial, and the matches last less than five minutes. So, if you're that curious about the game, I would urge you to download it and play it, and play it for 20 minutes. And if you don't like it within those 20 minutes, you're not going to like the game. But, like, seriously, give it a shot. That's what I would say to anybody. All right, all right. Now tell me about Persona 5 Quarter Pounder. The the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Yes. The big match, if you will. Um, You have never played a Persona, right? Never, ever. I have played BlazBlue Cross Tag Battle, and Chie is one of my mains. That's the extent. Okay, all right. Good job, Murph. Have you played any Shin Megami Tensei? Nope. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, Then this is going to be... I'm wondering how much to talk about the actual. I game understand. I, I I have uh friends who it's their like favorite. They they choose to bully me, uh, for liking Kingdom Hearts over Persona, so I, I have I that cross contamination. Nec- I don't necessarily know if like that's appropriate comparison. I think I think Kingdom Hearts is probably baby tier RPG, but I mean, hey, I love Mickey Mouse as much as the next guy. <laughs> um persona is especially now since after three three four and five are essentially like there's two halves to it there's a high school sim half where you go to class you learn things and uh you also have social elements where you talk to friends or you try uh dating and these are all social links to which that whenever you spend time in the real world studying for your exams or working up courage and then hanging out with friends, these improve your stats in the dungeon portion. And the dungeon portion is a little bit more standard Shin Megami Tensei fair. It's definitely dumbed down. 
Um, but you go into a dungeon and you go around and uh, you fight demons. Technically, in Persona, mm-hmm. the demons of Shin Megami Tensei, though they are the same, are called personas, as in figments or archetypes of uh, you know myths and the human mind. That's that's what they do. They they sort of sanitize it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Persona Five specifically is about a group of misfits who change the hearts of criminals and evil people. So they go into the minds and the mind palaces of uh, these evil people and try to uh, change their hearts or steal their hearts, as they would say. And steal invites to smash. And steal invites to smash. Exactly. Um, I would say that Royale, um, what they do is Persona 3 and Persona 4 did re-releases. After a certain amount of time where they got proved to be more popular and then they saw that they could do more with it, they re-released these with additional content. FDS had a separate side campaign um, and a rework. Basically, in the original Persona 3, you couldn't control party members. So FDS allowed a control party members option. And then FDS also added an extra campaign. And then Persona Persona 3 Portable added an entirely separate... Uh, main character to which you could be a female and this dramatically changes your social links because instead instead of dating girls you're dating boys so there was a lot of and also like heavy voiceover changes and all that because of that um so like those were the big reworks for that and you know persona 4 also added new characters and social links and all that this game royale feels a little like especially on the face of it feels less additive. I have not beaten the game, which is a problem for me talking about Royale content because a bulk of the Royale content is in the late end game. They add an entire Mm -hmm. semester after the last dungeon and then they add a new dungeon. So I have not experienced those elements, but in between those elements, they, um, they've refined mob engagements. They've changed up the mobs that appear and they have also, um, They've also just reworked a bunch of stuff or added a bunch of stuff that makes it feel more like a more fleshed out experience. When I was replaying these older sections, I was at first wondering what they changed, if at all. But then I went back and looked at vanilla gameplay and it turns out they changed a lot and it's just all in the details. So um, I do think this is the definitive version of Persona 5. They include all the DLCs and all that stuff, and they include a bunch of bonus content. So I would I would recommend Royale to anybody. Uh, it, now, Persona famously one of the, especially Persona 5, I remember the discourse around this, is it takes like a good 20 hours to get going. Uh. Or it's one of those... One of those tutorial games, right? Um, I mean, I think a lot of JRPGs are like that. I don't think that's worthy of criticism. Um, I twenty hours to get going is possible. Like, if you consider like, if you consider like second or third dungeon, like when the game gets really good, um, I would understand that complaint. But I think um, you know, near the end of the first dungeon, where you could actually engage in most things casually, is when I think the game starts picking up. Because, yes, there is a heavy tutorial segment. But I think, especially, like, for you, who has never experienced any Shin Megami Tensei or Persona, I think you won't even notice the tutorial stuff. It would be people... It would be like playing fucking Pokemon. And and literally, because there are Pokemon elements in Persona, where you capture the Personas. Um, And, uh, yeah, it would be just like that, where you're playing the same shit you've played for, you know, however many years. So some people are very familiar and tired with it. But you wouldn't be, so you'd be fine. 
Okay, now my, my aforementioned uh, Persona fan friends uh, keep telling me to play Persona 4 Golden ahead of Persona 5 Royale. Would you agree with that? Is that the superior? I would disagree, and I think they're biased because it was probably the first Persona they played. That is my opinion. That is true. <laughs> yeah, well, big surprise. Um, I do think Persona 4 is an amazing game, and I think they're getting better. I think that's my thing, is I think they're getting better as they make them. Um, better in a different sense. Some people would like come to be like, uh, excuse me, they've completely changed things. Like Persona 1 and 2 are completely different beasts, and I think the Persona 2 duology is its own like good and great that they're not even trying to do. But that being said, like... The, the formula of Persona 3 is being iterative and is getting better every time. So I would tell you to pick up five unless you're scared of not liking three or four. Um, but I think I think any fan would like all of them. Okay. All right. I see. I see. Now, what about... I don't have a transition. I can't think of anything clever. Tell me about Pentiment. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this, is a, this is a rough episode. <laughs> Um, Pentiment is the new Obsidian game, and it is, uh, directed by Josh Sawyer, and, like, you know, it's one of those big old, you know, decision-making, you know, RPG, you know, long things. I've heard a lot of comparisons to Disco Elysium. I think that would be a very fair comparison. I would think there's even less RPG elements in this than Disco Elysium. This is almost an adventure game with heavy dialogue options and heavy background options. That's basically it, though, uh-huh. is, is uh, you play Andreas um, Mailer. Oh my gosh, please do not convict me on pronunciations of uh, 16th century European names. Uh, but you play as Andreas Mailer, a, a painter in um bavaria and um and you work in a uh in, in a monastery with with monks and basically you are uh you're working on a uh a, a you know a drawing for the bible your masterpiece and okay um, you're doing your book of kells yeah you're doing all that shit um and you uh take residency in a small village nearby and um a nobleman comes by um day one of the game and uh I, light spoiler this has been advertised since before launch that nobleman gets murdered and uh mm-hmm. then you take it upon yourself to solve the mystery but there is much deeper mysteries ahead uh that is only the first part of the game um and yes you would like for instance in terms of player choice you would choose your background at the start of the game aka whether you speak french or you speak, you know, Spanish, or where you've practiced, or what you like to do in your spare time. Like you, you um, like you like to read books, or you like to drink and flirt with the ladies. These are character mm-hmm. elements that will later go on to uh, give you dialogue options and choice options in scenes, and um, and then those options will then reflect into later events in the game. Do those like evolve or? escalate in any way like can you level up or is it purely like you pick a start point and then go from there it 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 is purely you pick a start point there are no stats in the game um that being said you will you will pick things up when you uh do things um but it's never that intensive you're not trying to you're not trying to scrounge to maximize uh your build there's nothing like that instead it is much more of you're choosing a flavor for your story and um and also because of the murder mystery plot 
and some of the more like deliberate story elements you're under a timer so you have like two days to solve that mystery and within those two days when you're interviewing people or spying on people or gathering evidence you're taking time out of your day and that mm -hmm. time is one of the more essential choices that informs everything you do and then like when it comes to the trial and they go what evidence do you have um all that stuff will also reflect into later events of the game so by the end of the game um i'm not going to spoil much but you'll eventually see the repercussions of things and i will also say in terms of deeper mysteries the deeper mysteries are solved by the end of the game it becomes less about those minuscule choices and much more a reflection on the themes of the game but even then it is probably my game of the year oh okay coming right out the gate with that how yes. long did it take you to beat uh i have no idea how long it took me to beat. it, it took me like two or three nights of dedicating like two or three hours to it so probably like 12 hours tops yeah. So what I'm I guess what I'm wondering is since it's about that like start point and the fact that it's a mystery game, do you feel incentivized to go back with a different startup uh starting decisions and you think it will still be surprising even though you know what the the answers all I, are? I would well that okay, so that's a funny way to say that. Um I think I would I would not play it immediately. Like I would not pick it back up right now because there's going to be a lot of repeat text. And this is a heavy text game. Like this is fucking yeah. literary shit. There's like a glossary to explain to you the terms. And this is a very well-researched game. So like, yeah. so like this is not a game to like just casually go through. But that being said, um, like in a year, I would revisit the game with different choices and different backgrounds. Um, and in terms of like, you know, all the answers, you know, the answers that like really matter, but let's put it this way. I don't know who actually, I guess, I guess I know that one. Um, you don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> some mysteries are solved and some mysteries aren't even if you have to solve them. That's a better okay. way to say that. So, so the unresolved threads are sort of a thing I would want to go back and explore and really see the totality of what I missed because there were entire subplots I skipped because I had to. Okay, how do you feel about the game's art style, going for this sort of uh, replicating, like, manuscript drawings and tapestries? It is super impressive, and it is actually really beautiful in some scenes, because, for instance, I would say different characters come from different cultures, um, and they reflect oh. their uh, they they reflect their art styles of the time, and their oh, sort I love of shit things. like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's super fun, and also like their their dialogues um their fonts font is a really big part of this game um because you work with scribes and so they all draw or they all write differently and um and then you also uh, live near a printing press there's a printing press press within the village so fonts matter as a theme in the game and as a recurring image and um people mm. talk differently by different fonts so and they're through andreas mailer's perspective so an easy example is at the very beginning when you talk to the nobleman andreas thinks he's uneducated so he has a very different font compared to um when he says oh i've i've read a lot of books and i've studied this and i can cite this at that point andreas changes his opinion and the perspective of the font so in very small ways the story is really well informed okay uh does the because i'm i've been very curious about this game i'm waiting for a sale and also to have the time um does it have like a how much are you having to remember 
because I've heard that this is a very since it's so text heavy. I haven't really seen anything in the way of it helps the players like recall conversations they've had or details they've learned. Um, there is okay. So first of all, there's a glossary that you can consult. There is a map of the entire town and monastery. And there is also a people section. Now, admittedly, this requires reading, but this is already a dense game. So um, in those yeah. scenarios, um, yes. And there's also a journal that records what you have done. That doesn't necessarily reflect all you have learned. Um, for instance, I found out that a, a priest and a monk were having a uh relations in the forest and this was offset like in a small bit of dialogue from a hermit in the forest one time mm -hmm. and that was not recorded and i forgot the names of the monk and the uh okay. priest or and then the person and then i was worried for a long time but then again it it comes back up later too where it's reflected later um and then you're like oh okay this all makes sense so like it, it at the very least if it matters um, you'll still see a presence of it throughout the game and you'll never be left scratching your head like, what the fuck? All right, I see, I see. Well, you're like dead set. It's like game of the year. You don't think there's anything that could surprise you between now and end of the year. What what few weeks remain? Honestly, not surprise me now. I think there were some titles I missed back that I would like to revisit. Like for instance, Steven played Norco and I wanted to play Norco. Mm -hmm. And um, I think something like that could possibly compete. But God of War Ragnarok is not going to compete. Like, I'm, And I might like God of War Ragnarok. It may be a really good game. Who knows? Or Bayonetta 3. Those might be really good games. I haven't played them. Um, but they're not going to be the game that like I would carry. I would be playing this game probably on and on forever. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yes. Well, well. Dear listener, you may have noticed that this episode's a little topsy-turvy. Uh, namely, uh, Bro has all the games for what you play, and, and I, Murph, have none. I don't have any of my indie games. And that's because this entire time I have been trying my damnedest to beat Yakuza 5. Are the games getting longer? Uh, yes. That is the issue, because I have not actually beaten Yakuza 5. Like, I mean, I how have... long are they getting? Is this, like, fucking double the length of Yakuza 3 or something? Yakuza, uh, hold on, I can, I was actually looking at this this morning. Uh, Yakuza 3 took me about 17 hours. Yakuza 4, 17 hours. Yakuza 5, I'm currently at 27 hours, and I oh have not God. finished it. Now, now, when you say length in this terms, are, does this mean you're bad at the game, or does this mean that, like, it is a longer game? Okay, so for the first time in my life, I truly understand the game journos lament when they're like, I don't have time for all these open world games. So... Yakuza 5 is the biggest one yet in a lot of ways. So Yakuza 4 had four playable protagonists split across four chapters. This one has five. And it starts with our boy Kazuma Kiryu. Uh, once more, he is at, he is being dragged back into the, the Yakuza uh, life. But this game opens with him in a completely different town, working as a taxi driver under an assumed name. Uh, he has just completely abandoned the orphanage. Uh, that he built his in the last couple games around. Um, and so, like, for the first few missions, you're like, what are you doing, Kiryu? Like, what what's going on? It reminded me a lot of, like, the first time I played Kingdom Hearts 2 and that general confusion of, like, why, why are we here? And the issue gets to be is that it the game doesn't have a very good answer. The story in this one's 
real confused and it mainly comes down to each character's chapters are so disparate from each other it's kind of an anthology game in a way it's all about uh the different fam uh yakuza uh families across basically the breadth of japan like sensing weakness in the tojo clan and like gearing up for like a full-scale gang war and each character kind of deals with a different family and then at the very end they run into this detective guy who's like oh it's all going down in tokyo get there um and every character there's like 10 different towns to explore. Every character gets their own town. Some get two towns. Some get three towns to explore. And they're all large with different things to do. It's a very expansive game. I will never undersell the amount of content this game has. And then every character has their own, like, sort of side story that it's its own separate game. So Kiryu can do taxi missions, where he is a taxi driver. You have to, like, pay attention to the rules of the road, maintain conversations with uh, your passengers, yada yada. He can also get involved in street races in his taxi cab, which is very funny because you can upgrade it and trick it out like a burnout game. Uh, and then you get to the second character, Saijima, who is the uh, the hitman from the from Yakuza 4, uh, one of my favorite characters and stories from that game, the, one of the closest to being like the second video game to ever make me cry. Uh, his story's really, really boring and really disappointing because his whole thing in Yakuza 4 is that he was serving 25 years for a massive hit job he did. He got out and then like redeemed himself and became promoted to being a captain in the Tojo clan. Yakuza 5 opens his chapter with him immediately getting sent back to prison. Why? And it's almost like the, uh, assault. <laughs> so it, so it feels like they are they are giving up on certain threads keeping characters but taking them in entirely new directions for the sake of this game and no other it, reason it feels a lot of flanderization and also like they didn't really know what to do so they just kind of drop these characters in situations and hope that the characters are strong enough to give them a plot because Saijima, his first couple chapters are him in prison again, doing the same stuff you did in Yakuza 4. Then he gets out, gets lost, he escapes, gets lost in a blizzard, and winds up in this, like, hunting community in the mountains of Hokkaido. And they're like, well, if you're going to stay here, you got to hunt, because that's the economy. So he has a hunting side story. And again, it's super, like, fleshed out. You can upgrade skills. You got to, like, get winter gear so you can survive in the winter. But at the same time the like the entire time it's tutorializing me i'm like i don't give a crap i want to get back to the reason he broke out in the first place which is that supposedly longtime fan favorite character goro majima has been like assassinated in a hit job but no saijima is suddenly like no i, I want to find out about this demon bear that lives in the mountains <laughs> i mean i'm kind of curious about this demon bear that lives in the mountains yeah and then you, and then his chapter's done, and then you're playing as Haruka, who is Kiryu's adopted uh, daughter from the very first game. It's the first time you ever get to play as her. She's being uh, trained to be a pop idol. And so it becomes a rhythm game out of nowhere. So, so let me ask you, so like, I get a feeling that a lot of people who love Yakuza love the soap opera aspect and love the sheer mm -hmm. variety and like zaniness of the mini games and like just the different directions it goes. 
it sounds like five is doing that. Is this a is this like a beloved game in the series? Like, is this just you, or are you like fundamentally not liking the appeal of Yakuza? I think for this one, I did look up like, is this just me? Am I just finding like this story so drawn out? And a lot of people seem to agree this one has like the worst pacing. Um, but the people that are like in Yakuza for all the mini games and stuff, the same way like people get really into like GTA for all the stuff you can do. Sure. Are super about this one. And they're like, if you don't just rush from story mission to story mission uh, and really explore all the things there are to do, it's, it's really rewarding. My counterpoint to that is I, you know, I admittedly am kind of rushing from story mission to story mission. I'm still 25 hours in, sorry, 27 hours in with still I seemingly like six more hours to play. There should be a backbone or a structure that you're still really enjoying. It shouldn't just be if you do the small stuff and spend, you know, 20 yeah. more hours on it than you would have then with your already large time investment it's like reading a book but it's like oh but the side but the footnote that you're supposed to read you gotta <laughs> you gotta read the Silmarillion to really get the most out of uh fellowship of the rings and that's not to say the Silmarillion's bad it's just no no, no it's not but it's you know it's a whole nother book you have to read um i think really the story in this one's just super weak um like the whole thing about like Kiryu, when you finally learn why Kiryu's being a taxi driver, it's because the pop idol agency that scouted his daughter was like, we can't have it coming out that her dad is a former, like, Yakuza legend. So you need to go away, we'll fund the orphanage, we'll run everything, and we'll make Haruka's dream come true. The issue is, is that they did this plot already. They did it all the way back in Yakuza 2. Uh, Haruka gets scouted by a talent agency and they're like, we'll set her up for life. You just need to get out of her life. And Haruka said, no, the pop idol industry is exploitative. <laughs> but now she's all about it. Except she never really says she's all about it. She just says that people are counting on her. Oh, okay, uh, so this is really weird. So this is almost, you know, counter to what the character's been. Yeah, like I said, it's a lot of flanderization. Um, like, I would not be surprised... <laughs> I would not be surprised if I got to, like, Yakuza 6, and they're like, man, wasn't it weird that year when the entirety of Japan had a gas leak? Okay, you know? so it is the gas leak season of Yakuza. That's what it feels like. Like, that, you remember when I was talking about Yakuza 4, and it had that, uh, that money lender with a heart of gold? Yes. Uh, who's, like, just straight up Spike Spiegel? Uh, he's back in this game, and... He j he has no he has no reason to be here. It's like uh someone gets killed uh, part way through the game, and it's like well before they died they took out this huge loan, and I lean forward like they took out a loan a, eh? <laughs> and then he he pops into the scene um, and you know he he's still a fun character he's a super fun character so I was I, like the later chapters I was having fun, um particularly these these ending chapters where he plays the fourth character who has never been in any of these before. He's a disgraced uh, baseball star who has fallen from grace and now writes reviews for adult entertainment in his area. Ooh, that's classy. Yeah, and he owes a lot of money, and one of these uh, Ayakuza guy comes up to him and is like, hey, the game you lost your credibility on, that game was fixed, and I'll pay you 20 million yen to figure out what happened. And he's like, I could pay off all my debts with that, but I also don't want to know the truth. I want to believe that I lost that game fair and square. Um, 
and that's it's a super compelling narrative. I would have played an entire 12-hour game about just this part of the story. Um, but again, it has that anthology aspect where I'm so deep into it now, I don't really remember what happened in Curious chapters all the way at the start. So are they going to tie together in a cohesive way, or is this not, or is Outlook not good on that? I, a lot of these Yakuza games have that issue where you get, where you like beat the guy, like the antagonist, you beat him, and then as he's lying on the ground, he's like, ugh, there's more to go, there's more going on than you could possibly imagine. There's a guy pulling the strings behind the scenes that's not even me. And then you don't you don't learn who that is until like the last hour. Yakuza three was especially bad about this, where like literally in the last hour, it's revealed the entire thing was like a psyop by the American CIA to get these black arms like black market arms dealers out in the open. Oh man. This is crazy. Um, the how's the lore at this point? There are like three different forms of the Illuminati. Uh you know, and Kind of the issue is, is that every game they're popping up like new, because they say like the Tojo family is one of the biggest Yakuza organizations in Tokyo. So it has a lot of like different, they're, like sub families. And so every game you're dealing with like different families. And it's like, where did, where were these guys in the previous games? You know? Yeah. Um, this, this game doesn't so much have that issue because you're dealing with places outside of Tokyo for the first time. Um, it's just, it's just really dense, and I'm I'm just really kind of bored. But I would not shame anyone for liking this because, again, every chapter has a ton of stuff to do, like an entire game's worth of content. But at the end of the day, like I'd prefer something tighter, sure, and have all that stuff on the side. A Yakuza Four did that, where every character had a ton of stuff they could do, um, but the story missions themselves were pretty tightly paced and quick to get to. Gotcha. This all makes so, sense. What what's next? Well, next. So before we can see how Kiryu's story ends in Yakuza Six, we we first got to get go back in time, and see how it all began in Yakuza Zero, oh, which snap. is allegedly not just one of the best Yakuza games, but one of the best games ever made. I'm starting to wonder if this franchise is like Star Trek movies, where the even number ones are good. It's possible. Uh, and and zero comes before one, so it is even numbered. Is is th- I don't think that's actually a thing. <laughs> I don't think zeros are even numbers. It's divide. It's divisible by two, isn't it? No. Well, no. I rest my case. <laughs> I rest my case. All right. I think uh, to speak of twos, let's go to the variety minute. <laughs> This week's Variety Minute is gaming duos, specifically uh, platformer mascots for the most part with sidekicks. Um, yeah, because there's other options too, right? There are a few different types of duos, and what, and we're gonna really needle in what what counts and what doesn't. You know, our game of the week is Jack and Dexter, so the immediate comparison is Ratchet and Clank, who were you know contemporaries of the time. Um, why do you why do you think 
I, I know the answer because I'm amazing. Why do you think there is a sidekick? Well, what does a sidekick do? The sidekick you kind of need to do the technical stuff. You got one guy who can do the jumping and the brawling, and you need one guy to, like, hack panels or, uh, in some cases, speak for the protagonist. Uh, you know, Jack and Dexter is an example. Banjo and Kazooie is another where Kazooie does all the speaking. Banjo talks a little bit, but yes, there's a lot of attitude. Is I think another thing is, is like personality, right? Um, mm. For Jack and Dexter, Jack is the straight man. So Dexter is the person that brings, and especially for like the entire, for the total game, Dexter brings a sort of attitude that would otherwise be absent in the game. Um, and in contrast, like Ratchet and Clank, I think Ratchet has attitude, especially in the first one. And then the rest of the game's tone is like super like funny and silly and off the wall. And then Clank is the straight man because he's the tiny little guy. And he looks stupid, too, when he has like a helicopter for a head. So, yeah. 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 And then like, do you remember Heroes on the Move no. for the PlayStation Move? That was the big crossover between Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank, and Sly Cooper. Yes. And so they had, and so they put forth that Sly's partner is Bentley. This makes sense. Sure. Do you, do you buy them as a duo? Because no, I no, because of Murray. Yeah. See, I can't. Even though it kind of does the same thing, where like, you know, Sly does the the brunt work, Bentley does the technical work. Uh, is it the factor that they're not? paired up actively in the gameplay um That's... yes i would I, I mean i guess that is the thing um part of me would think that maybe under certain conditions i would count bentley because bentley is actively the ear or the guide and i was mm -hmm. i included actually and this was going to be controversial if we weren't including platformers was link and navi because Navi or Lincoln anyone or or Lincoln any sidekick yes so like you know the Minish Cap ends low or you know just any Midna, of them Fee, yes or, exactly Fi. like all do those count because I would count them under like sidekick duos I don't I, it's just different I I don't think I would because when you if you did like Link and my brain would autocomplete Zelda you know? I don't think that's I'm gonna disagree. Okay, well, I do have this here. Like, characters who get paired up by the fan base just because they're, like, contrasted in the plot. Like, Tifa and Aerith, or Sub-Zero and Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Would you really classify them as, like, duos? Um, in a way, maybe. Like, Shaolin Monks would. And, like, I think Mortal Kombat marketing does because I don't think everybody loves Scorpion. But, like... I think Scorpion and Sub-Zero are, like, sort of the fundamental duo of, like, who you choose, player one, player two. Ryu and Ken, right? I think a lot of it is player one with player two in terms of mm -hmm. uh, multiplayer games. So Mario and Luigi would be the big one if we're just doing that. Yeah. Do you see as Mario and Luigi as a duo? Because I do. I, I do see them as well, yes. Whenever, whenever they do, like, a Mario game, I am wondering where Luigi is in all of this. Yes. Luigi's presence matters, and you're like, what's going on? Where, where is he at? Oh, is he doing like a weird balloon side quest? I mean, I yeah. guess, sure. <laughs> what about Tails and Sonic? I was going to say, under your specific definition of like main character and then like character who does technical stuff, Tails. The sidekick. 
I mean, Tails is no matter what a sidekick, but under your precise, like, PS2 platformer definition, I think a lot of the Banjo-Kazooie, Ratchet & Clank, Jack and Daxter DNA came from Sonic and Tails. See, the thing is, if you, like, went back to the Genesis days, I'd say they're a duo. These days, uh, not really, and that's just because the Sonic cast has gotten so much bigger. Like, I mean, I, I think Sonic's, Sonic and Friends. Now, I think Sonic's always about the cast, but like, I in my head, you're because like I'd play like Sonic Advance Four, and like in Sonic Advance Four, you can pair the different characters together, and they put names to them. So mm -hmm. like, you know, if you were fucking Shadow and Sonic, I don't know what they call them, but it'd be like Black and Blue or some shit, right? <laughs> and for for yeah. Sonic and Tails, it was the Unbreakable Bond. I remember that. That's like one of the things like I remember about the game. So like I would still associate mm -hmm. them as essential pairings. Um. And I think, like, another one that is not a platformer at all, but is almost certainly the same vein, is Sam and Max. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking Sam and Max pretty strongly. But their, their bond kind of, you know, predates their game appearances. Yes, because, um, I mean, like, I mean, I think that is one of the bigger things to notice, is, is like, Sam and Max is, like, from a comic, right? And yeah. all, a lot of these are based on cartoons and comics. So, like, the expressiveness, the straight man comedic duo is a big aspect of it. Or just the, the, the zaniness of Max is something that really yeah. resonates as a sidekick. You know what a uh, game company loves duos and sometimes builds their entire games around them? Uh, Team Ico. Yeah. I, I would Am agree I, where, uh, where it's about a relationship with the NPCs. So Ico and Yorda mm -hmm. would be a big one, or Trico and the kid's name in The Last Guardian. I don't remember. Or uh, Wandern and Argo. Yeah, yeah, basically. And the horse. Yeah, I mean, I guess and that would be, I think that would be the real issue with the Link and Navi one. Is technically Link and Ep Epona would be like a big horse and player relationship. But like, you know, yeah. Well, well, Shadow of the Colossus, they go out of their way to have you build a relationship with the horse, because it's the only thing you can interact with that's not trying to kill you yeah true 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 um and i mean there's i mean there's other platformers even in the same companies that have uh these things like i was gonna say sparks and spyro for insomniac so and sparks would mm -hmm. resemble the guide thing um or, or like sparks, i've only played spyro one off the reignited trilogy does sparks do more i always assumed just based on osmosis from the fandom, Spyro gets paired up with the uh, with Hunter. Nowadays, yes, I I I would say that would be a thing. But like, I I would talk about just in general. Like, I think Sparks was like just a because Sparks ultimately for people who don't know and haven't played, Sparks is ultimately your health bar in Spyro. Yes, um, he doesn't do a lot, but like, I was going to counter like, how much does Daxter do in this game, Murph? Uh, well, we will get into it in the game of the week, but I think <laughs> okay. he, uh, uh, he serves narrative purpose. He, okay. He's the one that calls out mechanics for you. Oh, no, I mean, I agree with the guide thing. I, I was talking about just like in a, yeah. in a functional, like power cell standpoint. Anyways, um, Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong was another one I wanted to mention before we ended. Um, and that's yeah. also a rare thing with Banjo and Kazooie as well, so. Another franchise that really has, like, a pair mechanic sort of under the surface and has since the start, Resident Evil. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's always been about that A-B storyline, 
even sure. though those characters don't really pair up down the way, like, do you really think of, like, like, I think of Chris and Jill as a pair. I don't necessarily think of Leon and Claire. I agree with that. I, I, I would agree with that um, for multiple reasons, because Leon's in a lot of solo stuff. And then Claire also is tied to, you know, Chris. So uh -huh. in those ways, it's very flexible. Um, but yeah, I would associate Chris and Jill because even in Chris solo stuff, there's a heavy aspect of my partners. And like, yeah. And do, you, do you think that there is something inherently different between, how do I want to phrase this, between a duo and like in terms of the examples we're talking about, because I haven't noticed any of these that are like romantic pairings. And do you think it's just, a factor of like games up to this point that there hasn't really been a a game based around a a romantic duo doing gameplay together um, it's always got to be best friends i mean i think that's for a lot of reasons i think a big one for these is that most of these games are marketed towards children and um, oh. relationships in that sense may be, I don't want to say controversial, but like it'd be much easier to sell a seven-year-old boy on uh, a badass yeah. uh, furry guy with a gun and his robot sidekick that turned into cool shit like a jetpack versus mm -hmm. a love interest. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, what if, what if Clank was a lady? Well, then I would support the game more. It would be a better game. And technically, they did that for the recent one. They gave they gave they gave oh, Ratchet a female Lawmax again for yeah. like the th fifth time. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, was there anything else we want to say about the dynamic before we move on to the game of the week? I think about the Mario and Luigi uh, franchise, the RPGs. And how those really made, like, being part of a pair, the gameplay, like, moves you did and stuff in combat and in traversal. And how they sort of ramped that up for the sequels. Um, like, when you can really get the mechanical essence, then, it, then you can do a lot of uh, narrative stuff like that. Like, suddenly one character has been removed. There's that part in Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga where Mario's turning into a bean, spoilers. And yes. Luigi has to go out solo. And all you have are his, like, basic attacks. You can't do the combos. And you see, and you see the reason why they're a pair. And why they, why yes. they compensate for each other. Yes, I agree. Um, and and I, was ju I just remembered these because um, I guess we're talking about the other ones was Bob and Bob from Bubble Bobble. I was like, I have to mention these guys. I have to. Bubble Bobble. <laughs> Bubble Bobble. And I was also going to say, I don't know the lore of this game. Um, are Nana and Popo in a relationship? Boy, that is, that is haunted me because <laughs> I have seen, I have seen things that go either way. Are, are they brother think, and sister or are they boyfriend think, and girlfriend? I think they're siblings. I think they're siblings. Uh, hold on. Ice climber lore. Look this up. Because this, this will allow me to cast judgment. Uh, I don't think there is an answer. I'm going to be real. They are, uh, it just says they are the ice climbers. <laughs> Uh-oh. You think Nintendo should say, should make a statement on that one? Uh, that's Popo in the blue and Nana in the pink. These two stars of the game Ice Climber have scaled many ice summits in their mountaineering careers. Well, that's that's the trophy description from Melee. Who knows? <laughs> it's a mystery as to their relationship. Next time I see uh, my buddy, my buddy Shigzy Miyamo, uh, <laughs> I'll ask him. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, hit him up. You know, I think he's on your cell phone, right? On your quick list. You text him once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, are we ready for the game of the week? I think we're ready for the game of the week. We're going at a good clip here. Okay, all right. training boys but that's nothing compared to the challenges that lie ahead and ah, no problem we got the moves eh jack we'd love to stay in chat big green but we're uh, itching to get on with our adventures this week's game of the week is jack and daxter the precursor legacy developed by naughty dog Released in 2001 for the PlayStation 2, one of the earliest titles for the system. It's a story-based uh, platformer, collect-a-thon. Uh, you play as an elf-like being named Jack. Eco is a mystical, multicolored force that runs the world, and the world we live on today is powered by ancient technology that beings called the Precursors have built for us. Your friend Daxter accidentally gets turned into an Otzel. A mix between an otter and a weasel, and now you must travel north in hopes of changing him back. To travel north, you must collect power cells. Power cells are the Jiggies from like Banjo-Kazooie or the stars of Mario 64. They are objective rewards. Precursor orbs make up the smaller currency collectible you can get. Um, but we can talk about all that later. The big things to note are large, almost seamless world and very mobile moveset. Murph, what do you think about this game? Um, it's very difficult for me to, I feel, have an objective opinion on this because this is, like, a game so integral to my childhood. Um, like, I had a PlayStation 2. Of course, I played Jack and Daxter, and I played it a lot. A lot, a lot. Um, I think that this game is kind of one of those ones that's, like, perfect in a very boring way that I can't really think of what I would adjust. And part of that does come from, like, it being so ingrained in my brain, like where to go, what to do, what all the objectives are. But I think that also means that the game is so strong in its, like how it communicates to the player that even 20 years on, I remember all these power cells, you know? Yeah. Because I haven't played this game all the way through, like in, I would say five years. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been a mean minute, and I haven't played Jack or Jack Three since. I think the last time I played them was on the HD re-release of the PS3. That is the last time I played them, so that must have been like five years ago at least. Um, yeah, and for me, this is also one of my 
favorite games. Um, I love I love the franchises of the PlayStation Two, and I love uh, this game in particular. This is probably my favorite Naughty Dog game, and yeah, I think it's one of the quote unquote perfect platformers. I think this time around, I came with a new perspective and some thoughts on it. But that being said, um, I think this game is really special, and I think just to open it up. I think what makes this game special are two things. Number one, and I think both of them go to the strength of Naughty Dog and their progression out of Crash Bandicoot. Um, for Because, like, Jack has some Crash Bandicoot-esque uh, abilities, like the spin attack. Um, mm-hmm. I think mobility and Jack's abilities are very strong and fully realized for a platformer. They're not necessarily as mobile as, like, a Mario 3D uh adventure would be but that being said jack is pretty darn mobile and he also has really good combat abilities um such as the punch or the punch uppercut and then the spin all of these things can combo into each other and even though combat's not really that complicated this is a very easy game um it feels rewarding to move and it feels rewarding to hit things um and then yes and then the other aspect I wanted to talk about was world design. Um, I watched recently a Tim Rogers review on Last of Us that came out a few years ago. And he he compared um, Naughty Dog's trajectory towards a sort of uh, journey towards a holistic approach. Um, it just utilized like cinematic aspects by the time of The Last of Us. But that being mm-hmm. said, like... I think Jack and Daxter was a step in a more mature direction for Naughty Dog. It was still very bogged down in the popularity and culture of platformers. This is very taken a page from Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country and Mario 64. This, this is a very derivative game in that sense. But what makes it special is the world design. You know, in Mario or Banjo-Kazooie, you have to jump into a painting or go into another yeah. world right in this game it's mm-hmm. all the same world and each objective almost not all of them but many of them inform later objectives um so you turn on blue eco vents and guess what you got a power cell but now those blue eco vents allow you to go for more power cells later and that's and that cause and effect relationship i think is a really organic way to do things and again there's not very many loading screens so the world feels fully realized and with the art aspect to it the characters are well done and all that i think this is just really good experience yeah i think that this game is so it's so effortless um in a lot of what, like like you said, there's no loading screens. Like there's two that are very clearly disguised: the boat to Misty Island and the lift up to the mountains. Yeah, but I think then... I think elevators in general, or like they're the one real teleporter or loading screens during teleporters. But but that's literally because you're yeah. teleporting across the map. So yeah, but you can literally do like the walk from one end of the map all the way to the other, and that's so. It's just so effortless, and it's also also satisfying. Like, the sound design in this one's really top-notch. Like, when you punch a guy, or, like, the, the sound of the dive move, like, sticks with me. Because it just, you know, the... If that showed up on my mic. Um, okay, sure, and, maybe. Um, but also, like, there's so little... You know, going back to what I was complaining about with, like, Yakuza 5. That game is in a constant state of tutorializing. This game, you know, you have, like, the the warm-up at the start at Geyser Rock, and that's just to explain, like, the baseline mechanics, like, hey, this is a platformer. And then, 
it never really pops up again. Like, when you get on your zoomer, you just hop on it, and you go. Because the controls are, like, intuitive. You hold X to go. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the extent of it. Or when you find the flut flut uh, for the first time, and you can ride that. It doesn't, mm-hmm. like, stop you to say, like, hey, here's how the flut flut works. It's like, no, the flut flut works the same way Jack does. There's no need to explain this. You just hop on, you hop off. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's that, so and that being And that being said, like, they also, like, I don't say tutorialize, but they, they make those areas easier. So, like, the first time mm-hmm. you use the zoomer, I presume you can skip it, is Misty Island's open section. So you're mm-hmm. not given the straight path. You are instead given a, a sort of playground to go around, and, like, your main thing is just chase around some foes. That's that's your yeah. big power cell for that or the flut flut your first time with the flut flut is on boggy swamp and that is literally just climb some boards and get the power cell so even in those they're not telling you what to do um instead they sort of let you breathe it and take and just take it for yourself and be like oh okay this is what you do yeah this game is definitely something that like it does my head and like i think the th- last time i played this was when it was uh the hd collection was moved to the ps4 um, and I played through all of Jack 1 in basically one sitting and 100% completed it. I got the platinum, mm-hmm. you know, and that did my head in because I was like, no, there's no way. This game took me like months to beat. Catching the damn muse on Misty Island was like one of the most impossible things ever. Getting all the fish for the fishermen, that was impossible. But now that like I don't really know what the difference is, probably it's that I'm I have developmental skills now. <laughs> you are not a but, baby, yes. Yeah, but the game is you know easy. But I also don't mind that it's easy because it covers a lot of ground um, in that way. I, uh, I I think it's I think my biggest complaint would be that it's too easy. It could be a fact that I've played this game too much, but I I think just generally speaking, it is. I think what's interesting about the design, and this is something I mentioned on uh, to someone else. I actually mentioned it to Acer because he's, you know, remember we're referencing something. You remember way back on the Acer episode, he talked about urban exploration and cities uh, for the variety mm-hmm. minute. And he talked yeah. about Jack two and he talked about the move set of Jack and all that stuff. So he's working on a video about exploring Haven city with the Jack move set, which is interesting and all that. But that being said, I mentioned to him, because he said, and I don't know if you agree with this, I'll just ask you now. Do you think the game, quote unquote, starts at pre uh, at the precursor city? Oh, like the the underwater one? Yes. No, I feel like the game starts when you get to the jungle. I think that's. I think that is a viable thing. Here's my interpretation of what's going on: is obviously you do the tutorial segment. Um, it is called Sentinel Beach. No, it's yeah. not. It is called Geyser, Geyser Rock. Rock. I got it. Yes. Sentinel, Sentinel Beach. Beach is outside yes. the, uh, the, the town. I was going to say, so Sentinel Beach is, in my opinion, the second easiest area of the game. That is the second section with the most tutorials and the second section with the most general, like you're walking around just doing things um, yeah. and collecting space. Like you got to chase seagulls and eventually the seagulls give you a power cell. Um, yes. Like it, it's that sort of thing. Um that is the first section. Then the second section is the uh, is the jungle, and you have to do the jungle to do Misty Island. The jungle is mm-hmm. easy, 
but is much more fundamentally about cause and effect and is much more fundamentally about the world and all that stuff because you have to go down into the precursor stuff and uh, beat the boss of the area and you also have to activate the eco power for the village and you have to just do stuff like that. So you have to get a really good spatial layout of the jungle area and you have to do these things. It's not hard and you also have to do the fisherman segment which gives you Misty Island. Misty Island yes. is probably the hardest section of that portion of the game. And that and that is done because you have to unlock the fisherman. Like you have to you yeah. have to do that mission. And so, uh, and pour ahead. pour one out for the fisherman, voiced by Kevin Conroy. Oh okay, yep, there we go. And there there's there's also other voice acting trivia that I'm sure we will get to later. Mm -hmm. Um possibly. Anyways, yeah, and the Misty Island is slightly harder. I think Sculptor's Muse is the biggest test of Jack's mobility at that point in the game. 100%. And then there's also, like, the combat test of the gauntlet where they ambush you in that segment. And that segment also has the most uh, bottomless pits that you've encountered before then. So Misty mm -hmm. Island is, in general, harder than everything else. And so you will see that pattern as it goes up and it ramps in difficulty. So when you go to the second segment with the Blue Sage's Hut, um, Precursor Basin um, is just another Zoomer segment, but it is the last open field Zoomer segment. And it tests you a little bit more than the Misty Island segment. And um, you have, and then Boggy Swamp really just introduces you to Yellow Eco. Yes, that kind of is the extent of it. But what's great about all these areas is that they flow real nice. Like they're yes. open. They're open, but if you kind of follow a set path, you'll pick up nearly every power cell. Yes. Yep. And yep, that's yep. what's really rewarding. And um, I remember this game kind of being like, it, it's my ideal for what an open world sandbox is. Uh, this in Mario 64. Because there's like, a guided approach. That, and also once you're done with like picking up the objectives, it's still just kind of like a playground, you know? Sure. And it's like, what, what, what do you do in a playground? You climb up the play structure, and then you slide down the slide. And you do that 20 more times. And these games, uh, well, this game has a lot of that. Like, you know, on Sentinel Beach, there's the cannon. And I remember as a kid, I would run around trying to get the cannon to fire on, like, the lurkers on the beach. Oh, that's so cute. Or getting it to, like, blow up those crates for the precursor orbs and things yep. like that. It's just kind of, like, fun. Like, there's a lot of things in this that are so ingrained in my mind. Like, I remember, like, the day-night cycle. And you go into the jungle, and it's dark, and everything has, like, glowing eyes. Like, that is a very strong visual memory for me. Absolutely. Yeah, and the day-night cycle is obviously a thing that would, like, echo into a lot of other games as well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was going to say, to just cap off what I said, so the game does that forever. I think the Precursor City is the first time that you're actively tested in many ways. I think it's the first challenge of the game. I say challenge in loosest terms. And then once you get to the Red Sage area, I think the game is fully rewarding. I wish there were more levels and areas like anything in the Red Sage areas. Yeah... What what do you feel are the weakest areas again? Let's see, what what's your favorite? What's your wor least favorite? My favorite area is either the precursor city or the snow. Uh, the yeah. the snowy mountain is fucking sick. Yeah, I think those two are pretty easy. I think, like, I I think precursor city definitely one of my favorites, and then my least favorite, either boggy swamp or the caves, the spider caves. 
I, I like the spider caves for it's slightly more difficult and slightly more taxing. I like climbing the scaffolding and all that. It's a little mm-hmm. too... I think the issue is it's it's a claustrophobic map, which is um, yeah. different to the rest of the game, almost. Um, mm-hmm. It's very hard to get the lay of the land. And then Boggy yes. Swamp is effectively just a gauntlet. Um, yeah. Like, that one's literally, you just follow a path and pick up every power cell. Basically, yes. And, yeah, I, th- I think that one is probably the most meh. I, I, and also, in terms of art design, that's an important aspect of this game, is there's a lot of colors and a lot of interesting mm-hmm. lighting and stuff. But Boggy Swamp is literally a swamp, so it's very gray and dull browns and greens. Shitty, piss-colored water that's ankle-deep. <laughs> yes. And, and it's not very, like enthusiastically you know great in the art direction no um how how do you feel about how much of the game is centered around collecting power cells and giving them once to a a single npc and that's like Uh, the only interaction you get from the npc it it, like this time around it i really clued in on like how bare bones some of these conversations are like like the um the gambler in uh rock city yeah uh, or Rock Village, he doesn't even, like, there's not even, like, a moment where Daxter and Jack, like, introduce themselves. He just starts talking at you. There's not even, like, a cut back to their reactions. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, like I say, that's something I clued in this time playing. Because if you had asked me, like, ten years ago, or even when I was a child, like, you know, how, how long do these conversations go on for? I'd be like, oh, they, they go back and forth a ton of times. Like, there's a lot of characterization. Um, and I, I think it just kind of... Sp- go ahead. I think it kind of speaks to a certain strength to a lot of these designs. Yeah. And a lot of these, like, vocal performances. Like, they're all very memorable characters in their own ways. Yeah, like you said, the gambler has very minimal interaction, but looking at the gambler and hearing the gambler, you immediately understand everything. He tells you his deal, and you 100% get him, so you remember him. Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, if you had asked me, like, as a child, like, like this time I clued in, like, where are the houses in Rock Village? You know? Yeah. There's not really, like, any living space. It's just sort of that one, like, meeting area that has two people in it. But again, if you had asked me as like a child, I said, "Oh, that's a bustling metropolis. It's being assaulted by boulders." <laughs> you I know. don't know about that, but sure. Yeah, like it's very difficult to talk about real good, like just platformer design, because it all boils down to it's fun. Um, a lot of these areas are great because you're not doing a lot of the same objectives in them. You know, like the only one that's consistent is freeing the seven scout flies. <laughs> but then, like the stuff you do on sentinel beach doesn't match the stuff you do on misty island you know and that gives every area a great distinct flavor to it like the precursor city has like you know it's underwater and they're like the little whirlpool sections or the fact that like the uh the water is sometimes dangerous to touch and has the slides nowhere else in the game are there slides boggy swamp has like the flut flut section and only really like the mountains has like a very brief flood flood section. Yeah. There's only it. two, there's really only two power cells where the flood flood is needed. Yes. Yeah. And like, it's also the only uh, boggy swamps, the only place that you see those like enemies that constantly respond, the rats out of the trees and you have to take out the spawn points. Like that's yeah. not reused anywhere else. Um, so it's just all great, just great distinct level design. And that's something you don't really see in certain like 
like even like Mario games, Mario games will reuse a lot of assets and like ideas for later worlds. And sometimes they do build on it, but it means that every world kind of like gels together for me. I, I can see that. Whereas this one, because the things are different and because you're always doing something different, you remember every power cell. And there's only, you know, let's say seven power cells per area, give or take. Yeah. And and they all and also I clued in this time around, now that I'm adult, um, on the functional world aspect. For instance, on Misty Island, there's a lot of uh there's there is a thing where they're trying to blow up the precursor silo. And that is that is one of their and you'll find out later in the game, one of the lurkers and Gollum Maya's goals in the entire game is to mm-hmm. open the silos, but you stop them on Misty Island. And like, that is a nice cause and effect thing where you're like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. They're doing something. I changed it. I made the world better. And I think you yeah. continuously make the world better. And that's really Do cool. you feel that this is a strong narrative? <laughs> uh no i think it's a good world and it's a good first game and in terms of like platformers i think it is a very strong outing for a uh i think i think the ps2 era of platformers will probably one day talk about ratchet and clank and sly cooper i think they started to evolve in storytelling um but mm. even then i think sly cooper one and ratchet and clank one are better at that but i think this is also one of the earliest ps2 titles so i'm not gonna knock this game that much for it yeah uh, it is kind of the fact that there's almost no loading screens it's all seamless and then like we've got games today that have difficulty loading like an interior yeah um it does make me think back to like you know playing this as a child and being like, wow, this is all video games are going to be like this. I'm going to walk into a place and then be <laughs> able to walk out in five seconds. Oh, and then I look at like, I look at gameplay of the most recent Pokemon and they don't even have store interiors. Just a menu pops up. Oh my God. And it's boy, it is really disappointing that it's like, what were naughty dog, just the best <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, I, Game design, game development is hard. Y- yes, but also this game came out in like two thousand two, two thousand one. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, well, I, I think. It, I, go ahead. Oh, I I was gonna say I like the main cast very much. I like I like the dynamic of Jack Daxter, Samos, and Kira. I think that's a very strong dynamic, and I was always very disappointed that that sort of like drifted apart almost immediately with the sequels. Do you want to talk the sequels just yet, or do you want to wait about it? But yes, I agree. Uh, Jack I think Two the... is bad. I disagree, Murph. <laughs> no. I think I think you're. I think I'm you're wrong. I'm deciding to double down on that. I think I think Jack Two has a very good story. It's got some real bad gameplay. I. But don't know well we'll have to play it we'll have to play it sometime let me ask you do you would you have wanted and this is this is something acer said was um would you have wanted a jack 2 to be like jack 1 before they did the whole tone shift for those who don't know jack 2 is a dramatically different game it's basically a gta clone but with heavy platformer elements that were taken from this one set 500 years in the future of this game and like there's guns and cars and stuff um you know it's so it's so difficult to say uh because the shift from jack one to jack two is so ingrained um 
And plus, I think Jack 2 does have a lot of the level design and, like, platforming concepts that carried over. Yes. It's just, they made bad combat. <laughs> um, I don't know any other way to phrase it. I think the combat in Jack 2 is bad, and that's kind of the crux of it, because you're doing a lot of combat. You're doing more combat in that than you are in this. Well, the, I should say, the combat yeah. is the same. It's the gunplay that's different, because you have guns in that. Well, we can talk yeah. about Jack 2 in an entirely other time. We'll, we'll, wait for, uh, we'll wait for Open Goal to do a decompile of that. That, I should say that we played the PC port open goal version of this, and it was good. It's the unofficial PC port, although on the Wikipedia page, they do, they say in like 2022, there was a PC port that was released. Not mentioning that wasn't official. Uh, yeah, this is, this is clean as, this is clean as hell. Um, super easy to start up. All you really need is a Jack and Dexter one ISO file which I'm sure we all possess. L wink. I, I own Jack and Dexter one. I own three copies, two on the PS2 and one on the PS1. Uh, sorry, one on the PS4. So I, I've paid my dues. Uh, yeah, I, hey, uh, man. We, we've been putting also, in work for a decade. <laughs> it also runs super clean on Steam Deck, although it's kind of a 20-step process to get it set up there. Uh, so, you know, being able to play Jack and Daxter in bed, that's real comforting. That's real sweet. Good, good, uh, good. But they are working on a decompile of Jack 2 and 3, and also it kind of makes me excited for uh, potentially, like, mods. Yeah. Like, when, when Mario 64 had the decompile, people were making, like, full custom levels. And not just, like, your crazy, like, platforming obstacle course ones, like actual Mario 64 levels. Yes. And sort of all sorts of texture packs and stuff. I really look forward to that coming for this. I think that is the most exciting bit is what they can do afterwards. But yeah, in general, just a widescreen, high, you know, high resolution thing. Just It just looks good. And man. the game holds up really well. And part of that's down to the art design, like these character yes. designs. Um, like playing this, I was, I, I've always been wanting, like, or wondering why they haven't done, like, the Jack reignited, remastered. Like a lot of these platformer trilogies have been getting, and now playing this, I'm like, do I even really want that? Because I don't, I, I don't know if I need like 4K textures on everything I, in this game. I have the hot take that you do not need to uh, remake Blue Point style or any style. Mm -hmm. You don't need to remake PS2 era games. Anything PS2 era and beyond is playable if you're not if you're not weak. That is my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's kind of like... Does Jack and Daxter have Dreamcast energy to you? I could see it a little bit. Like, I, I, I could see, like... I think the era in general was much more open. I think after... I think after the 64 era, they were like, what if we just fucking make these things bigger? You know? So, yeah, I definitely get some... I, I don't know what it's something about the very clear anime influence and I I can't even explain this like the tropical beach like setting yeah. uh screams like daydream like dreamcast energy to me I almost said the name of the podcast <laughs> there you go um no I totally get that yes um I I don't think it's because like I definitely see some of the Sony elements here. like I definitely see the crash DNA in this bad boy oh yes there's a very clear line of evolution from Crash to Jack to Uncharted 
to Last of Us. Like, yeah. Naughty Dog's progression is pretty clean. Yes. Uh, yeah. And if you want to take notes on, like, how game design evolves, and to be clear, like, nowadays, the same people who worked on Crash Bandicoot, I don't even think are at the company anymore. But, like, just in general, the trajectory is, yeah, very clear. And I think my answer to the should there be a Jack 2 with Jack 1, the Jack 1 way, um, is no. Because it's what you says. I don't know what else I would do. I think by yeah. the point of Jack 1, that style, it's not over. Like, this game is not dated or stale. It's just it. Like, it is a period at the end of the sentence, you know? And it just feels so thorough and complete. Like, I can't even think, like, what areas would you do? They did all the, they did all the environments, all the biomes. They did mountain. They did swamp. They did precursor basin. And they also did it tastefully where it's like they're not making the volcano section crazy difficult. The volcano section is essentially the the a hub area that's slightly more yeah. difficult than other hub areas and the zoomer section. So it's never yeah. like, oh, my God, you know, it's all uh -huh. tasteful. Tasteful is a really good way to phrase this game. Is there like now? Now we're just kind of like spitballing. Like, what's your favorite precursor orb? <laughs> Actually, no, no, better Precursor question. Precursor orb. What's your favorite orb animation? You mean power cell. Power cell. Damn it. My favorite... I thought about this when... I was going to ask you this as well. My favorite power cell animation is the slam dunk. When yes. Daxter, when, when Daxter basically slam dunks the power cell into his backpack. That is that it's, is the best. It's so funny because um, I used to... Uh, whenever I got a new game, my, my dad had got like first crack at it. And yeah. I really, re I very distinctly remember him like getting the power cell and saying like slam dunk into the backpack. Oh, and for years that has like that, like anytime I'm putting anything into a backpack, I've got to like slam it down in there and then mutter to myself, slam dunk into the backpack. There you go. The memories I'm learning I a lot of the nostalgia of Murph. Yeah, um, yeah, this game, like I said, is very integral. Um, what is your favorite power cell? My favorite power cell, you know what? I do really like uh, the, what I don't even know what it's called, the mountain pass, like the race, effectively. Because yes. uh, that one's really exciting. I remember failing that one a lot as a kid. So now that I can do it like clean and get all the, uh, the scout flies in one go, yeah. like... That's super satisfying to me. Um, I also really like the, um, like, like, going again, like, the Precursor City is, like, the best one. Uh, the the raising the little, like, pod up. Yes. That's and so getting cool. the, the power cell on top. That's really satisfying. That really feels like you've accomplished something. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. What, what, what's your favorite? Okay, so I got three things to say. It's two ones and then like a comment was um, my favorites. So I, I'll just preface this by saying for quote unquote 100% completion, um, or at least the secret ending, I should say, you only mm -hmm. need 100 power cells. There are 101 in the game. Um, yes. So, and do you know why? I know this trivia. Do you know why? My guess is that just in case like one is unobtainable. Yes. Do you know which one's unattainable? Is it the one in the mountain pass that's blocked by the boulder? No, you can get that one. Is that the one you okay. didn't get? 
No, I just remember always being mystified by that one. And that's because I never really realized that there's a, a yellow eco vent yes. nearby. That, that is, by the way, that is, my, that is, I would say, one of my favorites. My other favorite is that, because <laughs> I don't know if you remembered it in the fucking red, uh, in the red sage area, there is a, there's like a hidden power cell there in the fucking no, thing. No, what? It's the fucking crate. Um, you know the crates that you need yellow eco to oh, open? Oh, I know what one you're talking about. Yes. yes. I think that this is the first time I ever found that one. Yes, dog. Uh, yeah, that, that one's great. All that stuff's fun. Um, I was going to say, I like those ones where they feel a little bit more hidden. I would have liked mm -hmm. that in the game. Um, yeah. But that being said, I also like how forgiving it is. The, the one that is unobtainable, by the way, good trivia, is the... Um, there is a way to glitch the gambler race in the basin um, to oh, where really? you, yeah, it's, it's, it's so where like um, the race only has two seconds on the clock that you have to beat or you'll get an immediate failure. I think you have oh. to do something really weird. Like you have to do the race, uh, exit the game, talk to the gambler and start the race again or something. <laughs> if you do that, you're soft locked out of that power cell and they can't do anything about it. They were never able to fix that glitch. Yeah. Huh? Okay. All right. I see. Yeah. 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 Uh, either way, I like the fact that you don't need all of them. So there's a little bit more elbow room. There's also a lot of elbow yeah. room. I was worried that I would have to collect every single fucking precursor orb, and that's not true. You don't. No. Um. So all that's really fun. Yeah. 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 How much does the lurker shark haunt your dreams? Is this not a universal experience? This is not. Did you never go in the deep water? Are you having a war flashback, Rogan? Hello, can you hear me? Yep. I, th I think my mic, my mic auto went on mute. I don't know when that oh. happened, but it did. Anyways, um, the lurker shark. It reminded me of Banjo Kazooie. Also has this, where if you go out yes. of bounds in the water, that I that was the one I'm scared of, and I'm also scared of Clanker. Um, mm -hmm. but, I... but 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 here's fine. I don't care. Oh no, I can't. Like it, like I, in this playthrough, I briefly like stuck a toe in the deep water by accident, and that like that I don't know that that grunt <laughs> that started, and then the music, and immediately like I'm I'm seven years old again, cowering under a blanket because the, the sharks, the music's gonna escalate, and the sharks gonna eat me. I can't I can't do it. That's my Sonic dying underwater uh, trauma. Yes. Yep. Um. Yeah, just game's just good, yo. Game's I just agree. good. Um, I'm trying to think of things we need. To, I would want to talk about, or because this is going to be the time we talk about this game. Um, this is probably my favorite of the nine, uh, main franchise PS2 platform of the of the big three of the Ratchet, the Sly. Yes, I think. Yeah, this is... we kind of like we kind of like bounced back and forth, and some of these I do need to replay. I think, like, I I would say of, like, each trilogy, I'd say Jack 1, best of its trilogy, Ratchet 2, best of its, and then for me, kind of like Sly 3, but I know we kind of differ there. I think, uh, I'm not going to say mine on the cast. We're not going to go on the record oh. here. Um, All right. <laughs> no, but uh, I think, I think this one was such a perfect, like, standing that they just had to change it. They had to do a change up. And so yeah. part of me, when we talk about Jack two, I really respect the creative decisions they made. 
Um, even though I would say that it's also a little cynical. It's like, oh yeah, you're making a GTA clone for the PS2. How original mm-hmm. can that actually be? But um, yeah, like but that I, being said, you know, it's pretty fucking original for a franchise. Imagine Crash Bandicoot have, did that. <laughs> I would say I have more nostalgia for Jack Two than like any of them. I just wish it played. It it plays <laughs> you know? okay, dog. It plays fine. I go back go back and tell me go back and tell me schedule season four daydream cast we're doing jack two we'll and see Bro what is happens gonna eat his words he's gonna eat his words I, I won't i'll defend the game even if i don't like the game no. because of this moment i'm gonna defend it on your i'll, 13th, I'll find an excuse on your 13th it. retry of the sewer defense mission you'll be sick of oh here comes pretty boy okay um you're gonna be sick of it i say i think daxter's a little annoying now I think the jokes landed less this time. I, I was a little overbeared, but it's fine. I think the older I get, the more Jack and Daxter's friendship makes sense to me. Because when I was younger, I'm like, why does he hang out with him? But you kind of learn that, like, a lot through his mannerisms in this one and also in Jack, too, that Jack himself was a bit of a shithead. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's th- a bit of a slacker, so it makes sense that he's like, hangs out with Daxter, even pre otzling yeah, at the very beginning of the game, it, it phrases the start of the story as them being disobedient. And they're goofing yeah. off and doing something they shouldn't be doing. And I think that is a really good characterization for a hero. So then the game is like, oh, what's a hero? Do you do shitty things? It's like, I, yeah. do, I do some goofy shit once in a while, but I do the thing when it counts. That's what being mm-hmm. a hero is, Murph. Yeah, you got to choose the wor- You got to choose between saving the world or staying fuzzy. Yep, yep. And uh, staying fuzzies, the my motto. Um, who's the Daxter in this relationship? Probably me. Are you? I guess that's fair. I don't know. Where would you be without me, Murph? I don't know. I think <laughs> I am the Daxter, but also the Ratchet. I don't know what that means. All right. Well, listeners, tell us in the comments uh, who you feel is who's the sidekick in this relationship? Who's the, who sits on whom's shoulder? <laughs> it's weird. Um, yeah. No, um, for a long time, I thought the Muse was an Otzel when I was a kid. Yeah. The Muse lore always confounded me. Always. How the Muse got to Misty Island? All I of think... it, just what it is, all of it. I think it's one of the Dark Makers from Jack 3. It was okay. sent to the past to assassinate Jack. Oh my gosh. Learning a lot. That explains why it's endangering you on this gallery. This all makes sense. Yeah. L- Murph, you're a lore master. Are we done? Oh, yeah. I think we're done. Yes. You know what? I'm also the master of bad ideas. And yeah, you that's... listen to me yeah. on, on this podcast is a bad idea. Uh, by the time this ep goes up, we'll have our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, covering the fandom around James Cameron's Avatar and all of these sort of strange uh, what they've been doing in isolation all these years. Uh, Some fun discoveries and some fun conclusions that we come to. I think it's a good episode uh, for our sophomore sophomore slump. There we go. How how do you feel about doing another podcast? Tell me, like, the ambition to it. Like, what what do you want to see out of the project? Is this just like like what what am I doing hanging out with other podcasters like No 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 you can hang out with other podcasters I'm more just saying what's the goal Where do you see this podcast in a year In a year 
Uh, well, hopefully we have more than two episodes. Uh, I think that I kind of just want to uh, put out optimism. I think that's okay. my goal. Like, I, I go into it on this episode, but I see myself as a... Uh, as as in my college years, I became a very optimistic person against my will. Uh, and so in, in looking at different sort of internet fandoms and stuff, I never want the first response to be, haha, look at this cringe. You know? You must become the part that cringes. I, I killed the part of me that cringes uh, yeah. long ago. And I try to put that out in, in the work I do. Um, that said, Jack 2 is cringe. Jack is not cringe, dog. Slot three is cringer. I, you know what? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fair interpretation. <laughs> Slide three, honor among cringe. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we're done here, y'all. Uh, what was that? Oh, what are we doing next week or next episode? Well, next episode is going to be a big one. It's our last like true episode for the year. Uh, and we are looking at a game about about thieves and vagrants and their stories. And we're looking at the PS1 RPG vagrant story. We're we'll doing have, we'll an have, RPG, y'all. That's crazy. I know. A JRPG, even. Yeah, and uh, that that was... That, I, I think you were confused as to why I invited both Brendan and Yep. It is because... Neither of us are particularly versatile. I've played JRPGs more than you. You haven't played them uh -huh. at all. So I wanted, at the very least, some more informed perspective, so that way they like Yep wasn't babysitting us, and uh -huh, uh -huh. there could be a conversation. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, keep your keep your fingers on that subscribe button, uh, listeners. Unless it already says subscribed, then take your finger off the button, and uh, you know. Like, comment, uh, subscribe, subslime, uh, subsume. Uh, I think I think it's fading out, but as it fades out, do you really think you're gonna beat Yakuza Zero and Vagrant Story within two weeks? I still have to beat Yakuza Five. <laughs> and now it's ended. <laughs>